it's the holiday season and I'm sure some of you have decorations that you're putting out that you haven't used in a year. I also am sure that some of you have maybe had to search for that one decoration in a bin somewhere that takes you forever to find. I know that's been the case for me already this season. So this year, when you're putting your decorations away, you should use smart labels. You just buy a pack of smart labels QR code stickers on Amazon, slap one on the holiday decorations bin, and use the smart labels app to catalog each thing you put away. Then next year, when you are searching for that one thing, all you have to do is search in the smart labels app and it will tell you exactly where you put it. It's so easy and it will save you a ton of time. So get started, go to Amazon and search for smart labels QR code stickers today. Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. everybody it is Felicia and I am here with author of Raising Lions Joe Newman he is a child behavior specialist and we have had him on the podcast before talking about his book Raising Lions I have recommended it over and over and over again um, it is aimed at kids with defiant behaviors but all kids have defiant behaviors so <laughs> I love it um for, for any kid or those seasons of life you're going through that your kids are feeling a little out of control. And today we're going to dive into a topic that Joe has been researching, and that is um, just the variety of mental health problems that we see our kids weighed down with now and why and how that relates to behavior. So we're going to have a wide ranging conversation, tie in some talking about anxiety tech effects, play deprivation, a bunch of fun stuff. So welcome, Joe. Hey, how are you? I'm so good. We got to talk about pizza before we started recording. So I'm I'm excited for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a pizza fanatic and baker <laughs> since baking during COVID, you know, yeah, we all put yeah. a little weight. So. Yes, my husband took up sourdough during COVID and it's been going strong. So nice. It's good, I think. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we, we we really could do a whole nother, you know, we could do an hour or two on baking and pizzas. We could, uh, we might, we might have to. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in. I, I first want to know, so you have 30 plus years experience with um, helping kids in mostly classroom settings, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, they started. It started in very extreme classroom settings. I think my like I like I started. I'm. I just turned sixty last year, so um, I started when I was twenty eight. Um, I'd been the, the 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 behavior problem kid in school. I was kind of glad to get out of school, um, mm -hmm. and then um, did a lot of jobs, and then realized you know it was look really needed some purpose in my life and spent. A, couple of days in sort of deep prayer and meditation and um, realized that there were thousands, millions of kids suffering the same sort of problems I'd had at school. And so I just went in and just wanted to work with the really tough ones. And that's always been so. And I think everything I've learned and what the book came, what happened with the book is I wrote about sort of what's happening at the front lines of difficult kids. And it turned out to have a lot to say about what's happening with all our kids and in all our schools. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's that's where I that's where I sort of learn everything I know. I learned from those kids and working yeah. with them and trying to solve those kind of practical problems. Okay, so. and something I I love and and having children of my own. I have four kids and. Um, you know, I have one that very seamlessly fits into the traditional demands of our schooling system. And 
Then I have three others that um, have different challenges, whether it's with attention or perfectionism or all these things. And I, on your, on your website, you, you're, you know, in your about me, you said, I realized that my aggression was, or could be turned into contagious passion and that my distractibility could be multitasking and my stubbornness could be seen as tenacity. And I, I just love how you see, you see these behaviors in our kids and you see a possibility for them to be very successful. And something that I notice with my kids is they go into this classroom setting and if they are not the status quo, they're automatically like labeled as bad or they need an IEP because they're so, because they're at all different than, than what the teachers want. So I guess, what if you, what if you, what can we as parents take from your learning as we're trying to help our kids not lose themselves in these settings? Yeah. So I think a big part of what I do and whether I'm, because I I do a lot of one-on-one parent coaching and I do a lot of teacher trainings. And part of what I, I want to do in the teacher trainings and is I want them to have a different feeling about that kid who's a behavior problem in the class. I mean, I, I, for me, it's very natural because it's I see myself in those kids that I'm, I gravitate toward those kids. I like those kids. I, I like the troublemaker. I, there's some, and, and I actually think that there they're not just troublemakers because they're getting it wrong or they're not figuring it out. They're troublemakers for some really good reasons that we need to take a look at as a society. And when we take a look at it and we can shift how we parent and how we teach, not only will those children thrive, but our society will thrive. The reason our society is struggling is that we, we've got certain things wrong about conflict and human nature and aggression. And, um, and when we shift our perspective on, it starts with us shifting our perspective on those kids, our society will change in a way that can meet the challenges of the future. And our kids will, I mean, I don't think that the kids, uh, you know, nothing against, you know, your child that, that does really well in school right away, but I don't think, that those that skill set is necessarily the ones that the world needs to to get better and to solve the problems in front of us. I think the skill set um, has to be in part unlocked by reaching these other kids and dealing with the 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 aggression and the kid who's not motivated by your approval or disapproval, but rather they're motivated by power. Yeah, they're they're motivated by competition. How do mm-hmm. we find the enlightened aspects of that and help them thrive? Yeah, well, and your just the title of your book, "Raising Lions," and observing the shift in how we're parenting. I mean, on our podcast, we are we are teaching parents how to be in relationship with their child as an independent person who does have their own feelings. They, they want to have independence in their body. They want to be able to voice their opinions and how can we, how can we parent in a way that is respectful of their wants and desires while still maintaining this symbiotic family relationship. And, you know, so then we get in these situations where our kids are like, no, I don't want to do that or that doesn't feel good to me or talking back. And we're like, okay, we have to remember we are choosing, like we do want our kid to say no in a physical encounter when they're older. That's what we're trying to teach them. So we are in a way, (laughs) we are like raising these kids that are being allowed to have their own feelings and opinions, but then, but then, There are certain situations where we're like, wait, I just want you to do it just because I said so, or because respect, or because an authority figure. And I feel like that that balance is kind of like the, you know, like I talk to people in, so 
the generation that raised me. And they're like, well, my kids would never say that to me. My kids would right. never do that. <laughs> right, and right. I'm like, yeah, because they were scared of you. Yes. They, that's were, a- they were fearful. <laughs> so <laughs> how do, where's the, how do we and find, you, like, how do we work together? <laughs> right. And you, you, all right. And this is an interesting part, right? Because you hit the nail on the head. Our kids would never talk to us that way and use it because they were afraid of you. And I would argue that for most of human history, like 99.9% of human history from, you know, 10,000 years ago until about 50 years ago, fear was an essential part of child development. Okay. Mm-hmm. And fear actually played an important role. It, it had some problems, which why we, we, we've changed, but it played an important role. And we need to remember the important role it played. And what that important role was, is that it had them take us seriously. Okay. And on a psychological level, you can say it created recognition, right? So fear got made them take you seriously as a person. Um, and sometimes that was because of economic you know, necessity and survival necessity. And sometimes it was just a a lack of some sort of deeper psychological understanding about, um, you know, how you feel about yourself and um, issues you might have and having a good sense of agency or an independent voice. These things were not on the plate a hundred years ago in terms of child rearing, or they were just starting to emerge. And, um, And so fear created mutual recognition. And mutual recognition is the basis of all mental health. What does that mean? It means a child has a strong sense of themselves and a strong sense of others. Those two senses are held in kind of dynamic tension. And this gives rise to deferred gratification, respect, consideration, emotional control, you know, and also intimacy, connection. Okay. And the problem was that we were get parents were getting recognition for themselves while in a large part negating children. So children weren't having that. You didn't have mutual recognition. You had adult recognition. And then we were like, Oh, we got to stop that. Let's get rid of the fear. And what we ended up swinging to was a lot of child recognition, but children are not taking parents seriously. Mm-hmm. That's also a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you need to have that, tension. It, there's no tension. There's no self-regulation. There's no feeling of connection. There's no intimacy. And on the deepest level, children can't feel seen by parents that they don't take seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again, right? Because you want your child to feel confident and seen and connected. They can only do that by a person who they take seriously, who they recognize. So when parents fail to get recognition, it's not just a matter of what you can put up with, uh, you know, that's good for your child. Putting up for it with it means your child will feel unseen. Mm-hmm. So the new wave, what we need to move into is how do we replace the thing that fear was providing? Because we need to replace it without negating our kids. Mm -hmm. So they become healthy and they become strong and they become able to do all of the things that we need a community to do and children with purpose to do, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so. Okay. So I wanted, I want for our listeners to hear what we're saying in like a, a day to day example. So let's like play out a scenario. So does this look like, uh, so give us an example with, we want our kids to get ready to school, but they're not getting ready for school. So tell us mutual recognition. We are we are working on being respectful towards recognizing them, but is also as the adult, we need to model to them how to see us back. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. And so uh, the there's two there's always two two layers to everything. Uh, there's a, a transactional layer, which is just the things that happen that you need them to do because what you do physically, your behavior shapes your cognition, not the other way around. So practice certain habits. For instance, I had a parent the other day, like uh, they want their kids to make their bed before they go to school in the morning. And, um, but 
once they're out of the room, they're running amok or they're playing Lego or they're outside and they can barely get them to eat and it's hard to get them back to the thing. So the, you know, and, and they're seven and nine. So the, the boundary for them now is like, look, cause they'll play Lego in the room all morning uh, without coming out. The, uh, um, and it's, so, you know, you have to be, we have to be leave for school at eight. So by seven 30, you have to have made your bed, okay? Or the Legos disappear from your room until the next day. And then if you've made the bed, they come back. That's it. One day the Legos will be in a different room and they won't be in your room. And so, uh, and then the kids have to solve the problem and you can help them solve the problem. Like, do you want, if you want, we can, I can help you set an alarm five minutes before I come in at 7.30. And then that way, you know, oh, I got to make my bed. Or you can figure it out yourself, and I respect that too. And um, I'm going to let you solve that problem. But the but the deal is, I'm going to come in at 7:30, and if the bed's not made, then I've got to uh, I'm going to move the leg out Lego out for a day. Mm-hmm. So there's a and you can res- and so there's two parts of that. One is you're setting a concrete boundary around what you need. Okay, you can play. I'm going to let you manage that time, but I'm going to come in at this time, and. Uh, if the bed's not made, then the Legos go out to the next day. So mm-hmm. now they have to navigate that space. You can offer help to do it if they, if they want that help, but they get to autonomously sort of choose how that works. Okay. Mm-hmm. So simple actions like that, like this before that, uh, where they have to develop the habit of mind of considering your need, because mm-hmm. that's, it, it really has to do with the actions they take in consideration of the needs that you have. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to get them in certain habits of doing things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you can do it. I mean, I can give you an example of that with a two-year-old, right? Cause it starts at, you know, you can start doing this at two years and um, you know, two or three years old. So I was at a, a mom's house who um, she'd asked me, she occasionally have, this was actually a, out of the blue, Mom said, hey, would you consider coming to my house and trying to live my life for one morning? Right. She had three boys. Uh, she was a single mom. Well, she, she was she was a separated mom, but dad wasn't particularly active. Um, to, and uh, and so she had. Twin th- three year old twins and a very aggressive seven year old. And yeah, she had. A, you know, and I said, so what do you mean? She says. Well, would you come to my house uh, before they wake up? I knew the boys, right? He says, mm-hmm. would you come to the house before I, I wake up and um, and wake them up, get them dressed and cleaned and fed and get them to school? That's mm-hmm. the whole, that's the whole challenge. You get, mm-hmm. you know, you've got like, I think I had two and a half hours. She says, you know, I'll pay your rate. Let's just, let's just see if this works. Because every morning I, she says, I go through this and I think nobody in the world could do this. <laughs> this is insane and mm-hmm. so i thought i'm up for a challenge and you know i knocked at the door at 6 30 in the morning and she opens the door with a big smile uh gives me the car keys points the, the pot of coffee and says see ya <laughs> <All right. laughs> and uh and so i wake the, i wake up the boys and one of the three-year-olds who's got a bit of a speech delay uh he's clever but he's got a, i know he's got a bit of a speech delay he gets up and right away he starts like whining at me like rah, rah, and follow me around rah, rah, his hands are out and and i have a pretty good idea what he wants because he's in a onesie and he's got a uh he's wearing a onesie but he's got a a, a diaper on which is wet mm-hmm. and um and he wants me to help him get out of the wet diaper. So, um, you know, so he's marching around following me, rah, rah, but I'm not going to let him get off that easy. So I look at him and I go, rah, rah, and he goes, rah, rah, and I go, rah, rah, and we do this back and forth for a minute. And finally, he gets this big smile on his face. Uh, and and I said, I don't know what rah, rah means. You're going to have to talk to me. Because uh, he's always reluctant to talk because it's, it's a little bit of a struggle. So... So he stops and at this point he's kind of calmed himself. He's got a little smile and he looks at me and he goes, help. Mm. Off, off. And he kind of tugs at the Wednesday, off, help. Mm. And I said, you want some help getting out of that? And he says, yeah. He says, yes, help, off. <laughs> and so I sit down in front of him 
on a chair and he comes up and I start to take off the onesie. But as soon as I start taking off the onesie, he kind of starts going limp and does the, uh, starts right back into the whining. And so as soon as he goes back in the whining, I take my hands off his onesie and I cross him in front of me and I look at him. And now he starts jumping up and down. And I just look at him and I wait. And he calms down and he comes, he steps up off help. And I help him with the onesie. And we kind of go back and forth with that. Every time he stops giving me his attention and his effort, I stop giving him my attention and my effort. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I did that throughout the morning. And I did a lot of it without saying too much. Right. I did a lot of it with, they wanted my cooperation. They wanted my help. And when I was getting their cooperation, I gave it and I stopped giving it when they didn't. That's mutual recognition. Mm -hmm. That's from a fundamental physical level, them having an experience of, I need you to give me your attention and your effort to the best of your ability. If you want my attention and my effort. And the interesting thing was the boys for the most part were very settled and happy by the time they got to the breakfast table because they realized, oh, this guy's doing this thing with us. And mm -hmm. he, he's asking us to step up into this place. And they thrive with that. Now, the other boy at one point threw his bowl at me and I had to, you know, oh, <laughs> carry him over and give him a break. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and that was fine. And, but he, that was a sort of aggression that needed to be met with uh, sort of enlightened aggression, me stopping him and insisting mm -hmm. he sort of calm and sit before he return. Um, but then he settled after that as well. Um, but that's a kind of practical thing. So mm -hmm. I think there's a transactional aspect, um, but there's also a way of sort of speaking and having a holding a higher expectation in a, in a way that doesn't lecture them about what they're doing wrong or things that they can figure out themselves. Yeah, I love, so just a little side note, we will be sure to link Joe's first episode with us and his book, Raising Lions, that little blip that you said there about the throwing the bull and yeah. the stop, the, uh, you know, meeting the hand, that's all in Joe's first book. So if you're feeling like, Ooh, I, I want more on that, yeah, I'll link all of that. But I love what you said about the, your modeling their amount of effort and that that's really I love because I always like these little snips because as parents when we're in a moment can be like wait what did Joe say on that podcast episode to do right now it can feel like a lot and it can feel like what am I supposed to say how am I supposed to act but that feels really nice in my mind <laughs> to, yes. to put in there this little note of the amount of effort they're going to give me, the amount of respect they're going to give me, I will, like, we will do this little dance of responding. And you can, you can picture that from a toddler to a teenager. You can picture that dance back and forth because I think a lot of the times as parents, we get into, it feels like we're the train engine. Like we're forcing everyone to do stuff or pushing them to do the next thing or fighting them on something that they are not at all invested in doing. So so it seems to me like anything with parenting, at first setting the scaffolding is exhausting and it will be a little more, um, it'll take longer, but setting up that scaffolding of, we will mutually work on this with your, I will give effort when you give effort, seems to me like a really great way to develop um, internal motivation in our kids because yes. I see that as a big problem. Like a lot of kids are not internally motivated because why would they be? We are just exactly. going to keep doing it for them and keep reminding them. And internal motivation and internal locus of control. Okay. Which is this term that I love. It, it just means like, so essentially, um, great 
a really strong indicator of mental health is do, does a person have an internal or an external locus of control? So in other words, the internal locus control means that the actions that you take, the decisions you make, the ways you respond are the primary thing that, that influences how good or bad your life is. Mm-hmm. External life, uh, external locus of control means what other people do how they act, whether things are fair or not fair, um, what the circumstances are, things outside of my control are things that determine whether I'm happy or not. So we want children with an internal locus of control. They're mentally happier and they're protagonists. Um, so let's, and I want to step back onto the practical aspect for a second, because mm-hmm. we, you want to set up that structure and you want to be able to do things like the, you know, the, the onesie and you want to be able to do that with a teenager too, which might be, look, I'd love to take you to a birthday party. Uh, I know I said I'd drive you, but you have half an hour that you need to sit with your homework in this public space away from your tech. Um, when that's finished, we'll go. And then they might throw a big fit, but I'm going to be late. Look, I know, but you, you know the deal. It's like every Saturday you got half an hour with that. And um mm-hmm. You know, and so you can do it. I can't make you do it. Um, but um, when this happens, then that happens. It's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. So that kind of a tone where you're not lecturing, you're not telling them when they, you're not doing promises, but you're holding them to these regular transactional things that happen in life is important. And it's important that you do them at home when you have the most resources to, to support it. So if you want to change the structure of your house, if you want to st- change the structure of your relationships, don't try to do that at a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't try to do it at the airport. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. that's not the place mm-hmm. to start. Start at <laughs> home. <laughs> start on a weekend. Set that pattern. You know, uh, if you're going to do it in the morning, you know, and you've got a partner, make sure your partner's on board to get your back. I'm going to work with this, you know, I'm going to work with the four-year-old. So we get these steps done and we're going to get a pattern down so that that's their habit of finishing certain things before they go into other things. And they get, we work through that tantrum phase where they're trying to train us out of um, having them hold day-to-day frustration and struggles. We want them to hold that, to hold it naturally. You know, mm-hmm. that ties into the thing I wrote you about the COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that that internal locus of control question, I think, does kind of uh, point to a lot of the work that you're working on right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that, um, like, how we develop that. And I know a big piece of that is play and the independence we're getting through those sort of activities. The kids are getting through play. And so tell me, I know this is a big cornerstone of what you're looking at. Um, why is it a problem that our kids are are having less independent play? And how does that relate to this, uh, what we're talking about of their independence? Great. So one of the ways, one of the reasons that children are not <clears throat> internally motivated is that we're managing them too much. Okay. We're giving, and the primary way we're managing them first is with way too much information. We're trying to explain to them the boundaries over and over and over again in hopes that if we explain the boundary enough or the rule enough that then they'll understand it and then they'll do it. But that order is completely wrong. Okay. They need to have some frustration from meeting the boundary and not meeting the boundary. They need to learn. They need to repeat. Um, And they need to have Non-preferred things happen before preferred things. And these are actions they learn from, build build models from action. And play, you know, it's not just that they're, play deprivation is playing a major role in um, declining mental health. Um, And it's not the play that they're doing with adults. It's not the play they're doing on a baseball field with a coach. It's independent play when parents aren't watching, okay? And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And there's a number of reasons why independent play is distinctly different and a part of the experience that they're not getting at home anymore, okay? Number one, 
you play with other kids, those other kids are not trying to manage your feelings. They're not trying to warn you about the consequences. You do something that they don't like. They're like, I don't like that. I'm going to play something else or no, that's boring. I don't want to do that. Or you led last time or you're cheating. You know, I'm not going to play with you or I'm going home or, you know, there's a hundred, it, it runs by cause and effect and mm -hmm. children. And so children are adjusting. What that means is at home or in a baseball field, we're making all these accommodations around behavior. The effort and attention is primarily from the adults toward the child to have, make sure they have a good experience. That doesn't happen in independent play. In independent play, there's this back and forth. They're, the child is constantly having to regulate their own attention and effort, whether it's to make something that's boring, interesting, to adjust their behavior so that that person doesn't think they're weird, you know, or doesn't like, yeah. you know, likes what they're doing. This, this effort out is constantly happening. They have to negotiate their own risk. They have to make that decision themselves. We're so trying to to mitigate any kind of risk or failure or struggle or difficulty. You know, we made these pads that we put on that are under every playground set in the country now, right? They have those thick, dense pads. Well, they did an experiment about what happened with those pads. Um, and what they found is when you put the pads in under the monkey bars, kids jump from a higher height. Hmm. Because they're figuring out the risk one way or another. We think that, oh, they're still going to jump from exactly the same height. No, they're going to jump from a higher height because they know they can. And they're going to play right on the edge of where they're going to break their ankle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. they're going to break their ankle, whether yeah. you got the pads there or you don't. So mm -hmm. kids enjoy that process. There's a strong feeling of autonomy, of figuring it out, of problem solving. And when we give too much information and we don't give let them have causes and effects to learn from. We build defiant behavior because we they're they're defying our overmanagement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. 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 So I put a little note to to what you said about there were two things. Instead of explaining, it's coming up to the boundary and feeling the the uh, consequence. Yes. And there was one other thing you said. They have to come up to the boundary and fill. And then what was the other, the other. And they have to problem solve. We want them oh. to problem solve. So, so yeah. we don't want to tell them the rules. Yes. Yes. So does all of this and what you're saying about play, does it distill down to that? Really? They, they aren't in any sort of control of any of the outcomes. So, so why even put the effort? Like I'm thinking about it with behavior. Yeah. If, I continually, whether or not I remember to hang my backpack up and rinse out my lunchbox, my mom's going to do it anyway, and she's going to bring it to school anyway. So right. why would I even try? Is that right. like the feeling, that autonomy piece? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and also, you tell them, every time you tell, like, you know, we all resent if in any kind of work situation, if you ever had a, been in a work situation where you've got a manager who's constantly telling you ahead of time, all the things that you need to do um, mm -hmm. that you already know. You hate that guy. You it drives you guy. nuts. <laughs> you just do. You yeah. resent it because it's belittling. It's patronizing. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for a five-year-old. Right. You know, the less, the more you're told the things you already know, the less you want to do them because they're not yours to do anymore. You don't, you're not, you're not taking any autonomous action or you're just like some feels like you're somebody else's puppet and mm -hmm. children have the same thing. So when we get in this habit of just talking and not setting boundaries, a bunch of things happen, right? One is children are natural problem solvers. Children from, you know, from age, whatever, 18 months love to go. I do it. I do mm -hmm. it. You know, even if they screw it up, they want to do it. <laughs> you know? um, and so, we need to give them the opportunity to do that, you know, and I think, um, you know, and, and rather, and the information creates this pushback where we, where children feel a sense of their own power by saying no. And why not let them 
feel that sense of power from solving a problem and communicating a high expectation and keeping a better relationship with them. So, you know, that's what a break is. A break is a stoplight where they can figure out, okay, there's a boundary there. What is it? What do I need to do to adjust? Okay. They have an, and it also, every time you, you allow them to have some small consequence, some small bit of frustration, learn from it, move on, you know, you're communicating a level of faith in their ability and it's a level of respect that they respond to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you're saying all this, I mean, we want this mutual respect in our homes. That's a, a huge motivator for all of us. And when we're talking about, you know, another thing, you're, another piece of all of this is the mental health crisis. And we're looking at, you know, this most recent report um, that you shared with me was the, these feelings of sadness or hopelessness in our kids. These are high school students who were, who were surveyed, went from 26% in 2009 to 44% in 2021. So yeah. these, these uh, feelings of anxiety, depression, um, probably also ties into the behavioral problems, the tension problems, the defiance, the anger, all... I mean, as a parent, I, I can deal with behaviors at home and whatever, but if my kid is then going out into the world and feeling anxious, depressed, that, I mean, I'm like, what? Ah, I'm scared. So how does this all tie, how does it tie together? How does this uh, teaching our kids to have this internal locus of control tie into these mental and behavioral problems? Okay. So I think one of the key things, and, uh, and I'm going to talk, Right now, I'm talking particularly about one of the things that's causing the problem with social media. Okay, so I'm going to lead to social media, but it starts with the fact that parenting has shifted, um, and it started in the 60s, and Jonathan Haidt, uh, I think it's, it might be Haidt pronounced, but he wrote The Righteous Mind. He talks about the shift in um in the way that we parent, where we moved away from sort of authority and hierarchy and moved to sort of explanations and reasoning um, and equality. And, um, and what this led to is that this idea that if we just explain to children what we want, they'll, they'll give it to us. And if they don't give it to us, it's because we didn't explain enough of it. Mm. Okay. But if you look at, and, and that actually worked for a while, but it worked for a while because there was some underlying fear that was still there from the nature of parenting. And because really um, explanations rely on approval and disapproval. Okay. And do you want to make other people feel good? And that relies on fear. And when the fear is gone out of all of that, and, they, and um, then all of a sudden the explanations start to break down and approval and disapproval don't work so well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So most families, if you have a couple of kids, you've got, you've typically got one that's motivated by approval and disapproval, and you've got another one who's motivated by power. Okay. So at school, there's two problems. One, first of all, approval and disapproval backfires with kids who like power. So then you get, so you get a whole group of kids in every class who are defiant and oppositional in either very active or passive ways. And by passive ways, they feign inability um, because they know you'll adapt and you'll move the, the boundary. So, uh, or you have aggression, okay? Which is, uh, you know, so that those are the people who are, they're, they're pushing back against approval and disapproval. And then you have the other group who like the approval and disapproval. They're thriving on it. Well, the problem with that that group is that it's got an external locus of control. If your self-esteem, if your motivation is based on the approval and disapproval of others, in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, the approval of others is primarily the approval of adults. But gradually, that shifts and you look to your peers for approval and disapproval. Then you get on social media and the algorithms capitalize on that to get you addicted and everything goes down the drain. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that the pro- 
one of the problems with social media is that algorithms are based on dopamine and dopamine is based on approval and likes. And that's how those work to get you, our children addicted to them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are entirely external locus of control. And, um, and it's all run by other peers who also um, have not, you know, are also struggling with a moral compass, you know, other 14 year olds. It's like, do you want your children to learn ethics and their moral compass from adults or from other 14 year olds? Because, mm -hmm. you know, on social media, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're basically creating a sort of Lord of the Flies environment where right. kids are monitoring other kids and approval and disapproval is running rampant and everybody wants it. Um, you know, and so there's your mental health crisis. Um, but we set that up. So we set that up by, by relying too heavily on approval and disapproval and explanations, mm -hmm. whereas we can raise a more vigorous, uh, psychological child or more, is that right word? Vigorous, a more, yeah. A stronger Gritty. psychological child, right? With grit, if we can, uh, if we can help them to make decisions, build an internal locus control, which is that's what I do with my programs. It's like, and it's initially it was to turn around these very tough kids, but a lot of parents find okay, it, it's actually helping to shift my child who's motivated by approval and disapproval to have their own internal locus of control and a stronger self of themselves, stronger sense mm. of themselves. Oh man. I, I, we're coming up on time and we could go my every, everything we get into. I'm like, there's 20 things we can talk about. But I, <laughs> I think to in our last little bit here, I would love to hear just a taste of those thing, those tips or like things you work with those families on to change changes they can start to make behavior, like to start to shift their kid. Because what you're saying is these kids motivated by approval, disapproval, and also these kids motivated by power, helping them to develop a stronger internal locus of control is for both of right. these sets. That's it's yes. good for everyone. So what are some things we can start to do now to help our kids with that? Yeah. So let's think about boundaries as in terms of cause and effect and not right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like, um, it might be, you know, for, and there's always two parts of it, right? There's breaks or short consequences are the front line of sort of stopping and frustrating behaviors you need them to become aware of and to change. Okay. Um, so asking a child to take a break and then if they don't take a break, you have to set a pattern so that they learn that to take that seriously. So typically it's a break. If you don't take the break 30 seconds later, it's a bigger break 30 seconds later. Um, it's the biggest break or with a, even with like a six year old or seven year old, sometimes it's, it's, I need you to take a break. If you don't take the break, you know, and, and they refuse or they fight or they argue or they run away, you say, look, if you don't take it, it becomes longer. So let's say you've got a seven-year-old, you're going to get a five-minute break. They ignore the five-minute break. And it's like, look, in a moment, I'm going to start a timer and your screen time is going to disappear. I'm not taking it away, but it is going to disappear slowly based on your decision. Mm -hmm. So in a moment, I'm going to start the timer. And for every minute that goes by on the timer, you're going to get one minute less of your iPod time, iPad mm -hmm. time, your Minecraft time. Um, and maybe you're okay trading the whole half an hour, but, um, but that'll be up to you. So the time's running. If you want to stop the timer, you got to come back and do that five minute break because mm -hmm. you missed the one minute. Now they, they have to hold, they're just holding in a very autonomous way, uh, the consequence of their choice, mm -hmm. not giving you what you need. All you really needed was them to stop at a stoplight, which is what the one minute break was. Right. And, and, and if you do that for a week or two, what you'll have is a kid who, you know, when they call their sisters, you know, a stupid idiot and you say, take a break for a minute, they, they start to feel some inhibition around doing that. 
and then you can have a conversation around it. You can always have conversations about that afterwards. And, and you don't talk about it during the break process because that prolongs it or it creates a loophole in the actual transactional structure of it, what you need. So but at the end, you can go, hey, look, if you're frustrated or you don't understand, I can talk about it after you finish the break. Mm -hmm. And then you have a conversation. Now, so there's a structure, there's a response um, that's super helpful, particularly with younger children. Um, but you can also do a structure and response, which is, this before that, which is, hey, before we go uh, to the park, you need to put all the toys away. And I know I don't want to put away or you got to help me. It's like, I'm not a big fan of helping kids put their toys away. I, I don't, to be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a subtle little thing, but I'm sort of like, you know, they're not my toys. I didn't take them out. Um, <laughs> you, I'm not going to put them back. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, I've got some other things to do. It's not a hurry, but when you finish, then you can move on to that next thing that you'd like to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it can be the same with homework. It can be the same with chores. The reason homework, chores, putting away toys, um, sitting down at the table when you're supposed to for, an, for a period of time with the family is that actions creates habit of mind and habit of mind creates good think. You know, your thinking follows your action. Mm -hmm. Not the other way around. So, um, yeah. So I think those your 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 big tool tools are using breaks to respond to action, so that kids stop. And the other thing is that is to create unpreferred things have to happen before preferred things. Mm -hmm. And you know the things you love don't aren't going to open up and um, be available to you until I get the things I need from you. Um, yeah, it's nothing personal and let them manage that. Yeah. And a note here also, again, to plug our first episode of Joe, we go into breaks extensively. And I know that in like the, whatever you want to call it, respectful parenting community, people are like, ah, breaks. but I can tell you firsthand for kids, the introduction of breaks, I, I think we always had a sort of this before that mentality in our, our home, but the introduction of breaks at first, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Like this is, it was, a, yeah. it was a little hard, but very quickly it became apparent that it was teaching my kids what's worth it. What like their own self-regulation. And now I don't think I've said the word break in two years because they just know, they know it's an underlying thing in our home of, Ooh, like this behavior caused me to take a moment of self-reflection in the past. Do I want to have to do that moment or not? Am I going to find a way to self-regulate myself in this moment? And Wow, such a beautiful tool. Also, the this before that and um, preferred preferred action. It just it does really when we're talking about this mutual recognition, it helps them so much to see. I would love to enjoy going to the park with you, and we have these other things that we are all responsible for in our home, and we are all trying to work to this place of having this joyful moment with each other. It's not just for you. It's for all of us. And I think that home environment is, it, it feels better as a parent than this whole world is for you. And I'm serving you can get you to such resentful place. So I really do appreciate those tools. Yeah. And I, I would just in terms of the people who are, I understand, I understand the impetus and the motivation of respectful parenting and you don't you want to recognize your children you want them to feel recognized you want them to feel seen but recognition can only happen by people who are recognized and children mm -hmm. develop recognition through observing the physical actions of the world and the physical needs of the people around them so uh, if you want your child to feel seen you have to feel seen first and if you're not seen first and you aren't considered your child will feel a sense of alienation 
mm-hmm. and abandonment on an emotional level. The reason play deprivation is a problem is because it's in play with other children. The children experience this navigating of the causes and effects. Consequences are happening. If you have a problem with breaks, watch the way children play with each other. They're giving each other breaks one way or another all the time. You know, when they go, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going home. Or no, I don't want to play that. that those, are, those are just causes and effects. They're, they're in many ways, they're much more, you know, difficult and frustrating than a one minute break where you have to sit quietly for a minute. Um, and so parent, parents have an opportunity to create the same sort of boundaries that kids thrive on in play in their own interactions and actually do it and create better associations. But Mm -hmm. you can't do it by by not creating some effects to their causes um, Mm -hmm. because that's how they build their models of the world. And otherwise you're going to end up with anxiety-ridden kids who aren't prepared for the world. I mean, I'd Mm -hmm. rather give them my consequences in a way that they can have a develop a good association with those with cause and effect at the home, then set them loose the world at 18 where they're, they're used to the world changing for everything that they need, which just doesn't happen. And then mm-hmm. you've got kids who are, you know, they've got to start the learning then and they're, they're going to be pissed. Yeah. They're unprepared. They don't have the tools. You're like, mom, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> this is how the, 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 you didn't set me up for any of this. Yes, you I know, in a crowded room. Yes. You know. Well, Joe, I, I, I feel like we're going to have requests for an encore. I'd love to dive more into play with you, but we're up on time today. So I just want to say thank you so much. And to everyone who's like, no, we need more. We'll, ha- we'll have Joe back. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah, ditto. Nice to see you. And uh, uh, I'll be back soon. And if you, if you need more information, you go to RaisingLions.com. Um, yes. And uh, I have a YouTube channel as well with some examples of how to put things into play. Awesome. I will link all of that and also some of the articles that Joe sent me to get ready for this interview that had some awesome information for all of you. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Felicia. All right. That was so, so great. Brown cows. <laughs> <laughs>